0: Proverbs chapter 14, it's printed there in your bulletin, ends on the back of the page, and then we'll read 2 Timothy 2, uh, Proverbs uh, 14. The wise woman builds her house, but the foolish pulls it down with her hands. He who walks in his uprightness fears the Lord, but he who is perverse in his ways despises him. And the mouth of a fool is a rod of pride, but the lips of the wise will preserve them. Where no oxen are, the trough is clean, but much increase comes by the strength of an ox. A faithful witness does not lie, but a false witness will utter lies. A scoffer seeks wisdom and does not find it, but knowledge is easy to him who understands. Go from the presence of a foolish man, when you do not perceive in him the lips of knowledge. The wisdom of the prudent is to understand his way, but the folly of fools is deceit. Fools mock at sin, but among the upright there is favor. The heart knows its own bitterness, and a stranger does not share its joy. The house of the wicked will be overthrown, but the tent of the upright will flourish. There's a way that seems right to man, but its end is the way of death. Even in laughter the heart may sorrow, and the end of mirth or joy may be grief." The backslider in heart will be filled with his own ways, but a good man will be satisfied from above. The simple believes every word, but the prudent considers well his steps. (coughs) A wise man fears and departs from evil, but a fool rages and is self-confident. A quick-tempered man acts foolishly, and a man of wicked intentions is hated. The simple inherit folly, but the prudent are crowned with knowledge. The evil will bow before the good and the wicked at the gates of the righteous. The poor man is hated even by his own neighbor, but the rich has many friends. He who despises his neighbor sins, but he who has mercy on the poor, happy is he. Do they not go astray who devise evil? But Mercy and truth belong to those who devise good. In all labor there is profit, but idle chatter leads only to poverty. The crown of the wise is their riches, but the foolishness of fools is folly. A true witness delivers souls, but a deceitful witness speaks lies. In the fear of the Lord, there is strong confidence, and his children will have a place of refuge. The fear of the Lord is a fountain of life to turn one away from the snares of death. In a multitude of people is a king's honor, but in the lack of people is the downfall of a prince. He who is slow to wrath has great understanding, but he who is impulsive exalts folly. A sound heart is life to the body, but envy is rottenness to the bones. He who oppresses the poor reproaches his maker, but he who honors him has mercy on the needy. The wicked is banished in his wickedness, but the righteous has a refuge in his death. Wisdom rests in the heart of him who has understanding, but what is in the heart of fools is made known. Righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. The king's favor is toward a wise servant, but his wrath is against him who causes shame. Amen. And in 2 Timothy 2, You, therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things that you have heard from me among many witnesses, commit these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. You, therefore, must endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No one engaged in warfare entangles himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who enlisted him as a soldier. Also, if anyone competes in athletics, he is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. The hard-working farmer must be first to partake of the crops. Consider what I say, and may the Lord give you understanding in all things. Remember that Jesus Christ, of the seed of David, was raised from the dead according to my gospel, for which I suffer trouble, as if an evildoer, even to the point of chains. But the word of God is not chained. Therefore I endure all things for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. This is a faithful saying. For if we died with him, we shall also live with him. If we endure, we shall also reign with him. If we deny him, he also will deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful. He cannot deny himself. Remind them of these things, charging them before the Lord not to strive about words to no profit, to the ruin of the hearers. Be diligent to present yourself approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. But shun profane and idle babblings. For they will increase to more ungodliness, and their message will spread like cancer. Hymenaeus and Philetus are of this sort, who have strayed concerning the truth, saying that the resurrection has already passed, and they overthrow the faith of some. Nevertheless, the solid foundation of God stands, having this seal. The Lord knows those who are His. Let everyone who names the name of Christ depart from iniquity. In a great house there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honor and some for dishonor. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from the latter, he will be a vessel for honor, sanctified and useful for the master, prepared for every good work. Flee also youthful lusts, but pursue righteousness, faith, love, peace with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart, but avoid foolish and ignorant disputes, knowing that they generate strife. A servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but be gentle to all, able to teach, patient, and humility, correcting those who are in opposition, if God perhaps will grant them repentance so that they may know the truth and that they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil, having been taken captive by him to do his will. Amen. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. Amen. 2 Timothy is one of the three uh, epistles that Paul writes. As what are, They're what are known as the pastoral epistles. They're addressed to men who were serving as uh, pastors. Titus was in a similar role as Timothy. Uh, you could say that he was a pastor of pastors, that both of them were serving in that role, or an elder of elders, because the word for elder is used in, uh, in Titus chapter 1. Uh, this is uh, somewhat what is uh, thought of when you see the office of a bishop in some uh, form or fashion. Timothy, he is overseeing the work of the church, and he has been tasked with committing the things that Paul has taught to him, To men that would follow in his footsteps in the future. Children, these these men were required to have two things in particular about them. Uh, Paul says, Timothy, look for these two things in these men and draw them to yourself so that you can commit these things to them. Did you hear what those two things are? They're to be faithful. And they're to be able to teach, faithful and able to teach. Of all the things that Paul could have said, those are the two that he chose to focus on. This is not to the exclusion of what Paul says in 1 Timothy 3, where he gives the qualifications for elders and deacons there. This is not to the exclusion of what Paul says in Titus, right? Right? Uh, where he speaks about the office of elder or overseer in Titus chapter 1. But he chose these two particular things to focus on with this group that Timothy was laboring among, that these men would be drawn together under Timothy's leadership, and that maybe out of those men, those who would serve as elders would come or whatever the case may be. But of all the things that Paul could have said, these are the two that he chose. Faithful, full of faith. Think of like Stephen in Acts chapter 6 where he is described as being full of faith and full of the Holy Spirit and also able to teach. And this would take serious discernment on Timothy's part, wouldn't it? He would have to look around. He would have to know the men. right? This, this kind of obliterates the idea that a pastor can shepherd people he doesn't know. right? Because you can't raise up men in a group of men you don't know. You have to locate these men. Timothy had to identify them. He had to notice them. And once they have been marked out, Timothy was to spend additional time, right? Because what he's talking about here is not uh, likely something that would take place in the, the corporate worship of the church. It was a special time that Timothy was to take with these men that he had noticed were faithful and able to teach and to commit to them these things, these things that Paul Uh, fleshes out throughout the two epistles and other places in his writings. Timothy was to spend this time with them. And notice the word that's used. It's used in the King James and the New King James. It is to commit what Paul had committed to him. Now, commit is not really uh, used in that sense uh, today. Uh, the, The idea, though, is that he's going to set it before them or to lay it out. Right? So like you're being taught a lesson where the, the, the teacher or whether you're in the church or whatever the case may be, in college class or, or at work, you're a teacher, right? you have to lay out these things. You're committing it to those who are sitting under you. It is actually very close to the word that is used to describe how Jesus, after he, broke, uh, after he brought the, the loaves and fish To be multiplied, it's a very similar word to describe how Jesus set that before the crowds. That that kind of gives a significance to this imagery here. That just as Christ fed the crowds, so the servant of the Lord is to feed these men in particular. Yes, the congregation as a whole, but particularly as Paul addresses these men here. And when he says uh, a servant of the Lord throughout this text... He doesn't mean a Christian in general. Right? He's speaking particularly about those who are going to serve in the church. Right? It doesn't mean that there aren't general things and general truths for all of us to, to uh, learn from this and all that any more than when we study the pastoral uh, the qualifications for pastors and elders and deacons that we can all learn from that as well. He addresses the, the manner in which a man is to carry out his ministry. It is to take what God has provided, to pray over it. Think of Jesus feeding the 5,000, feeding the 4,000. He's to take it, uh, what God has provided in his word, to pray over it just as Jesus prayed and gave thanks, and to lay it out, to commit it to those whom the Lord has trusted to him, trusting that the Lord would use it to fill those to whom it is given. You see, raising up men in the church is imitation Of Christ, because this is chiefly what he did, as he had his own men that he raised up to carry on his own ministry. This is biblical multiplication of church leadership. The servant of the Lord. Remember, servant means minister, it means deacon, it has a very broad meaning, but Paul uses it in a very specific reference here to talk about what Timothy is doing and those who are trained by him would do. As well, not all Christians would walk in the footsteps of what Timothy is doing. Not all Christians would be uh, men, of course, right? The servant of the Lord is to see himself not simply as a teacher to all, though he is, but also a teacher to faithful men who are able to teach. The pastor is the teacher of faithful men who are able to teach. The minister, the servant of the Lord He draws an allusion on how the servant of the Lord, Timothy, and these men in training are to view their work. It is work as a soldier who is not entangled in the affairs of this life, but focused on his work as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. The implication is if the pastor, the minister, the servant of the Lord entangles himself in things that do not serve his calling, he hinders his ministry. This doesn't mean that the Master Christ Jesus doesn't care for the affairs of this life. It means that ministers have this this narrow focus. They are to have a focus away from the affairs of this life as a minister or servant of the Lord. These who would serve the church in this way. And what he he calls it uh, is an unlawful striving... And it seems to, to be the case that it would result in no crown, that you can go about ministry in such a way that you aren't given that additional crown for it. Paul and Timothy and those who follow after them have a special and particular calling of enduring all things for the elect's sake, that they may obtain salvation in Christ Jesus. You see, this is kind of where you can draw out for just a moment and see how this applies to all Christians generally. We are to endure all things in our various stations of life, endure even hardships, endure uh, suffering, as, as the King James says in verse 3, endure hardness for the sake of those whom the Lord has set his love on, that they might obtain salvation in Christ Jesus. This doesn't mean that pastors can't do other things, but they need to be cautious lest they become entangled in them. There is work to be done as a good soldier of Christ, and servants of the Lord cannot do it by being entangled in the world. Another error that Paul addresses that the servants of the Lord need to be especially worried about is striving about words to no profit. This is very profound. Paul seems to lay out this idea that there is a certain type of precision that damages the hearers. A certain type of precision that damages the hearers. There's tremendous wisdom for us in this. I think an example of this is in the Gospels when Christ responds to the disciples as they raise a complaint about others laboring besides them. Remember that? Where they're having this argument about who's the greatest. And Jesus says, whoever receives this, this child receives me in my name. Whoever receives me receives him who sent me and all that. And then right after that, John answers him and says, Master, we saw someone casting out demons in your name and we forbade him because he does not... Follow with us. That could, you could almost take that as he does not talk like us. Right? It's a similar idea there. But Jesus said to him, Do not forbid him, for he who is not against us is on our side. That's Luke 9, verse 46 through 50. There is a certain type of precision, a squabbling over words that damages the hearers, Did you notice how he said that himself? I'm not making this up. I'm not even making a deduction. He says uh, earlier in uh, chapter 2, let's see here uh, where he says it, um, where he says to, uh, to, 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 to remind them of these things, kind of the middle of the text. They remind them of these things, charging them before the Lord not to strive about words to no profit To the ruin of the hearers. Right? So there is a striving about word, a certain type of precision, as it were, that is damaging to the hearers. Now, this can also be useful in parenting and in personal reflection as well. Squabbling about words is not doing what the Lord approves of. It is not rightly dividing the word of truth. Paul even states that profane and vain babblings, did you notice he says this later in the text, it leads to more ungodliness, right? This would be uh, like certain debates we see in theology over terms that at the end of the day don't ultimately amount to anything. They don't lead to godliness, therefore we should not squabble over them. We can have debates and discussions and differences and all that stuff. But if the truth is being held, the, we could say if the creeds are being confessed and Christ is being honored and holiness is being produced, Paul says, chill out. There's a type of squabbling that is not uh, conducive to hearers. No squabbling is conducive to hearers. But it's not just that it's fruitless. Paul says that it, it leads to ungodliness, it leads to a certain type of undermining of the hearers and parents. Remember, this can, this can be the case for our children as well. Being, it's not about being too firm, though that can be a species of this. It's being overly scrupulous, having too many rules, right? Trying to diagnose the inner parts of your child's heart to the nth degree as if you even know your own that well, right? Be gentle as Christ is gentle. Using the word, yes, but don't squabble about words. Paul gives two examples in verse 17 and following of those types and what came of them. He even says their names. Hymenaeus and Phileas are of this sort, whose message spreads like cancer, who have strayed concerning the truth, saying that the resurrection, that is the second coming, is already past the first full preterists, as it were. And they overthrow the faith of some, claiming that Jesus had already had his second coming. Could squabbling about words lead to full preterism? Maybe it could. But this is a real danger we need to be aware of. It is a certain type of radicalism that can damage the faith and even lead to outright apostasy. We see this in in the debates over uh, the Trinity, And things like that where uh, people begin to prefer certain phrases that aren't really codified in the creeds, that aren't really codified in Scripture. But they get in squabbles about words. It's a type of radicalism. Or where you get in debates about justification. Justification, yes, super, super important. But let me say it a thousand times. You are not justified by faith by believing in justification by faith. You are justified by faith, right? Otherwise, you're justified based on understanding, right? Don't squabble about things like that with people. We can do this with our family members as well and being overly scrupulous of those from other denominations and whatnot. Yes, maintain the truth, but be aware of this danger of having a certain type of squabbling, a certain type of radicalism that can damage the faith and even lead to outright apostasy. Though that danger remains and the warning is always to be there, Paul reminds us that God is not undone. His foundation stands sure. It stands secure. His elect stands sure. His promises stand sure. He knows those that are his. What a comfort that is, that these squabblings about words will not overthrow the faith of the elect ultimately. He knows those that do not carry out ministry or carry out their lives in this fashion. But don't miss the implication of it at the end of verse 19. The iniquity to be departed from is that which is listed throughout the passage. Yes, yes, yes. The Bible calls us to depart from all iniquity, to repent of all our sin. But the point that Paul is making is that uh, those who serve the Lord, those who are going to follow in Timothy's footsteps, are those who cannot give in to this type of sin. The context is important. Those who name the name of Christ must depart, especially as ministers, from squabbling over words. Mr. Ed could probably tell you better than me. Presbyterians are known for being what is called the split peas. We split more than any other group of Christians and form denominations over and over again. And a lot of it is squabbling over words, giving in to this Sin. It undoes good preaching. It uproots otherwise faithful ministry. And we have to say what it is. It's not a preference, it's a sin. And it must be abandoned, turned from. Lest we imagine that being a minister makes us automatically faithful or that all ministries will be equal. Paul reminds us of an important truth in verse 20 that there are some ministries that are gold and some that are silver. There are some that are wood and some that are earth. There are some that are honorable and some that are dishonorable. This is simply the way things will be, the ebb and flow of church history. But he tells you how to become a vessel of honor and sanctified and useful to the master, prepared for every good work. Don't we want to know how to be this? Not just as ministers, but as Christians, this is something that applies to us all. We are to purge ourselves, he says, or cleanse ourselves. If anyone cleanses himself from the latter, he will be a vessel for honor, sanctified and useful for the master prepared for every good work. We need to think of of, uh, living a life of self-denial in this way, that living a life of self-denial prepares us for good works. Self-denial is a good work, but it prepares us for more. It makes us able and ready to receive what the Lord has for us. This man purges himself. We as all Christians are required to do this as well. He, this minister, this servant of the Lord is to be an example to all, carrying the cross of self-denial. Those things that must be denied are, in addition to what's been named, youthful lusts, foolish and unlearned questions, and strivings. You see, we are to carry the ministry out in this way because the servant of the Lord is one of the means that God uses to bring repentance to those in the church. Did you notice that? The very end, that last full sentence. A servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but be gentle to all, able to teach, patient, and humility, correcting those who are in opposition, because, or if God... Because God might, perhaps, grant them repentance. God is using his servants in this way. And we're to do our ministry in a certain way because God may grant them repentance. You might say, that sounds awful man-centered. I'd say, take it up with the Bible. If God, perhaps, will grant them repentance so that they might know the truth, so that they might come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil, having been taken captive by him to do his well, the manner of the ministry in some ways determines the fruitfulness of the ministry. And the last thing he says before I move to my closing comments. Those that oppose faithful ministers, those that oppose the servants of the Lord, who serve in the way that Timothy is taught by Paul, who serve in the way that Christ served, Yes, imperfectly, but those who serve this way nonetheless. He says that they oppose themselves, that they are opposing themselves. What a profound concept. They harm themselves by opposing a servant of the Lord who is doing ministry the Lord's way. So three closing comments. First, pray for those who are servants of the Lord over you. Pray for your pastor, pray for your elders, pray for those as deacons, those who teach, right? all those things. Pray for them, that their life would be marked by this flavor, this this life that is called. Because you see how much damage can be done by a man who serves the Lord in a way that is not honorable, in a way that is more marked by uh, dishonor rather than honor. It affects you. Second thing, true service In every area of life, for the sake of the gospel that that Paul lays out here, where he spoke in the middle, I believe it was in verse 8, where he says, Remember that Jesus Christ, of the seed of David, was raised from the dead according to my gospel. For which, so for that truth, for the truth of Christ's resurrection, which is Paul's gospel in a nutshell. For that truth, he says, I suffer trouble as if I were an evildoer even to the point of chains. True service in every area of life for the sake of that gospel often leads to conditions of chains, conditions like verse nine. And I pray that the truths of verse 10, enduring all things for the sake of the elect, whether those elect be in your home, in your congregation or wherever, would flavor how we endure whatever difficulties come. And then the last thing, pray that men would be raised up. Pray that men would be raised up. Now let me tell you how important this is. I am 40 years younger than our second youngest elder. 40 years younger. That's a whole generation gap, right? We don't need that again right? We have to be committed to raising up faithful men. And God, in his mercy, may he grant it to us for the good of his church and the glory of his name. Amen. Let's pray.